This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. I have two messages this morning, and I'm going to be brief on the first one, but it's important that you understand that we are making a shift as a church to help you. You see, many of us have grown up and we have become infiltrated. Uh, How many of you know that the devil is very clever? And he doesn't attack the church directly. He'll do that as well. He'll attack us directly. He'll attack us in all kinds of different ways. But one of the greatest ways of destroying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is through infiltration. Infiltration. And we don't even know we're infiltrated. Most of us just grew up as good little Christians and we just listened to, you know, the traditions of men. And we didn't even know they were traditions of men. We just thought that was Christianity. But uh, as you know, this week we're entering our Synod week. And uh, we are beginning to shift our emphasis away from what we now understand are holidays that align themselves with pagan practices and are losing more and more vestiges of any of our Christian values. I've done teachings on Christmas. I've done teachings on Easter. We've done teachings on Valentine's Day. None of those are Christian holidays. They are pagan holidays. Hmm? And I know people say, well, what are we going to do? Well, even if you see, you know, at one time we tried to hold Christian values. We said, okay, Christmas is Christ mass, it's Christ, it's, but really the truth is that it's not. The truth is that it's the practice of Saturnalia, it's the practice of worship of a sun god, and, you know, although if you still practice Christmas, we're not going to get mad at anybody, we're just trying to heighten your sensitivity that says, hey, listen, you can still honor Christ every day of the year, even if you want to practice Christmas, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, but be aware of the pagan roots. Be aware that, you know, when the church was infiltrated back in 300 AD and Constantine set up the day Christmas, he set it up for a purpose. Because he was a Mithraist, he was not a Christian, he never was a Christian, he never will be a Christian. He was a Mithraist, and he was thinking about power of Rome. And he infiltrated the church then, and we've had a lot of problems since. Easter is Ishtar, okay, we all know that, and, and I don't have to go into that today. But we understand that these kinds of practices, in the eyes of God, are an abomination to him. And since we are returning to truth... And God's call to us is to be truthful and to be honest and to preach the gospel. We are beginning to talk about the truth and the origin and the practices around these feasts that we've grown up celebrating. And we want to return to what God set up. How many of you, God set something up? It's not that he doesn't want us to celebrate. He just wants us to celebrate what he set up. And it's amazing to me that the Roman Catholic Church forbid the practice of the feasts of God, and went with these dark practices. Now, we all have been affected by that church, and uh, I grew up in it, so I understand that. But now God's leading us into truth. We are about our Father's business, and we want to do what pleases Him. In Ephesians 5 and verse 10, it says that we are trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, we've been studying and learning about the Hebrew holidays or the holidays or the festivals or the feasts of God, God's feasts. We are not becoming a Jewish church. We are not Jewish. We have been grafted in to Abraham. We've been grafted in because of the blessing of Jesus Christ. But we are not Jewish. But we do want to practice those feasts that God set forth for all people. This month is a very important month in God's calendar, and it's a very important time of the year. The biblical new year was celebrated this past Thursday on the 21st of September was the Jewish new year or the Hebrew new year. How many of you know that new years on the uh, 
Roman calendar will come on January 1st. But for those of us on the biblical calendar, this is a very significant month right now. Very significant time of the year. And we are actually in the year 5778, coming out of 5777. 5777 was a jubilee year in God's calendar. That's significant for us. Because jubilee means the forgiveness of all things, the wiping away of all, of all debt. And I hope some of you have practiced that. Because this year is the beginning of a new beginning, a whole new start. And I know that Zimbabwe looks like it's going down the drain. But I've got inside information. Don't look at what's going on out there. And, and I want to encourage you. Even the fact that you're here worshiping God. The enemy would want you to become so discouraged that you wouldn't look to God. That you'd look to everything but God. I'm telling you that there's a propaganda agenda against faith. There's a propaganda ag agenda against belief. But I want to encourage you, stop talking about all the stuff that's going on in the newspapers, it's all fake news anyway. This stuff is all being devised. Our government knows exactly what they're doing. They're impoverishing the nation while they enrich themselves. They know exactly what they're doing. Don't kid yourself. This is not some kind of, oh, we don't know what's going on. They have been warned. They have been told. Prophets have come. Men of God, I've spoken to them. I've gone and talked to government ministers. They said, don't tell our people. Our people like it this way. <laughs> Folks, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against spiritual principalities and powers. My second message today, if I ever get through this one, is going to teach you how to be anointed in the midst of a corrupt and perverse people. Our government and its leaders do not seek God. They do not love God. They do not seek God. They do not call upon God. They have figured this out on their own. They are wicked and they are evil. It's true. Now come on. It's evil. What's going on is evil. The truth of the matter is that in evil times, in wicked times where there are evil people, God still takes care of his people. But we have to go there by faith. So, Last year was the end of a cycle, seven times seven years, 49 years, the 50th year, seven shimitar years, seven shimitar years ending in a jubilee year, and now we're in a year of new beginnings. Don't wait till January for your new beginning. Don't wait for your deliverance till the new year. Don't wait for the word of the year in January. Grab a hold of what God's doing right now. Now, let's celebrate this Hebrew feast. We're in a series of feasts right now. The Hebrew word for feast is the word moed or moedin. And it simply means divine appointments, divine appointments. Each feast is significant and it reveals God's nature. It also prophetically speaks of mankind's relationship with him and his purpose for our lives. There are seven feasts that God set forth. All of them will be fulfilled by Yeshua. All of them have already been fulfilled by the children of Israel. These are feasts that are prophetic in nature. They have been fulfilled, they were fulfilled in Jesus, and they will be fulfilled again for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. These feasts are separate and separated into two seasons. You have the spring feasts, which are Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, finalizing in Pentecost. That takes place in the first half of the Jewish calendar. Or our calendar, really. They're called spring feasts. Then we have the fall feasts. Now, I'm going to explain those. And the fall feasts are, are very important. But let me just explain the feast of Passover. 
It's the liberation from slavery in Egypt, the Passover lamb, but it's also the, liber the, the liberation from the slavery of Satan for you and I through the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was our Passover lamb. We celebrate that feast. The feast of unleavened bread, the Bible talked about not eating for seven days, we are to, uh, not to eat bread with yeast. We're to remove all the yeast from our house. Well, on Passover, they searched the house, they rid the house of all the yeast, and the yeast is a symbol of sin. Well, Jesus' body is buried in the ground, put into the ground. The unleavened bread is that he was without sin. And the one without sin paid for our sins. There is no sin that can hold you and I because of our feast of, of, uh, of unleavened bread, which is found in Jesus Christ. The feasts of first fruits, well, in biblical times and today, on the, day, on the first day after Passover, there was a feast of first fruits that was celebrated. Well, the first fruits was the first of the harvest, the first of everything. Then they honored God with it. Jesus became our first fruit. And because, he, because the first is holy, the lump is also holy. If he, was, if he wasn't holy, if he wasn't resurrected, if he didn't ascend into heaven, there's no right for you and I to. So Jesus is our firstborn among many brethren. He's the first fruit of many brethren. Thank God for Jesus because because of him, we too can be resurrected in the newness of life. But then there are, and then of course the feast of Shavuot or Pentecost. And the first time that Moses received the Ten Commandments was exactly seven weeks, 50 days after the Passover. 50 days after our Passover, after Jesus was hung on a cross, we had Pentecost. Pentecost is when the church was born, and the church age has been going ever since. They received the law on ten tablets, or, or on two tablets of stone, ten laws. We received the law written on our hearts. Hallelujah. Praise God. Then the By the way, if you remember, 3,000 men died on the mountain because they, they had created a false god. God slew 3,000 men because they were worshiping a golden calf. But on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 men came to Jesus, came to the knowledge of Christ. I think it's important that we understand that God is the God of life and this New Testament is being fulfilled. Amen. The fifth feast, this is the one that we're just celebrating right now. Now, understand that all of those feasts have already been fulfilled in Christ. The next three feasts have not yet been fulfilled. They speak of something yet to come. They speak of a second return of Christ. The second return of Christ. That was the first, the spring feast was the first return of Christ. Now we're in the church age, but the fall feasts speak of the second return of Christ. So when we celebrate these feasts, we're celebrating them in hope of them coming to pass for our lives. This Sunday, this, this week, I was thinking this would be an awesome time for the return of Jesus. I mean, it makes sense to me. Jubilee, 50 years. Jesus, I, wouldn't you just come home, just come and take us out of this place. That would make it a lot easier, wouldn't it? Well, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm going to live like it's going to happen tomorrow. But I'm going to plan like it's not going to happen for a thousand years, okay? Hallelujah. But the Jewish New Year falls, it's called Rosh Hashanah, okay? And uh, it starts on the 1st of Tishri, which is in our calendar, September. You can put that other verse up, that other uh, thing up. And it, it, it speaks of... Uh, the blowing of trumpets, that's how this begins. And it's an amazing season. Uh, the, the big, put up the next slide. Because the Rosh Hashanah or, uh, go back one more. Let me see what it says. Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah. That's the, the Hebrew word for Rosh Hashanah or the new year. The head of the year. Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year, the beginning of the year. Yom Teruah means feasts 
of Trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets. And this is an amazing feast. Uh, we were with some people, the last two years we've been with people that have celebrated this. And, and uh, it's very interesting because it's celebrated, go to the next slide, it's celebrated with a, a feast. And here's how we celebrate. You can see there, there's honey, there's apples, and there's a shofar, a goat's horn. Okay, go ahead. And uh, so it's full of festive meals. You, and, and there's a whole story behind it. And we, and we were hearing the story. It's, it's all about the deliverance out of Egypt. But then it goes and it talks about the coming return of Messiah. The hope and the blast of the trumpet. A hundred times they blow the shofar during this feast. A hundred times. But do you remember in the scriptures it says the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of an archangel with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that all that are alive and left will be caught up with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. That's what this is about. That's what we're expecting is the trumpet sound. So every time we practice this feast... We're saying, hey, come Lord Jesus. Amen? Now there's all kinds of things that go on. The blowing of the shofar, the lighting of candles. It's a beautiful, beautiful ritual. People say, well, what do you do if you don't have Christmas? What if you do? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We, we celebrate the feast of God. We celebrate when God wants us to celebrate, the time of year that he wants us to celebrate, things that he set forth. And I'll tell you what, they're beautiful feasts. It's, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. When you do these. Then the next feast is called the Feast of Yom Kippur. It's a day of atonement. And that takes place. But by the way, this, this took place on the 21st. The day of atonement is going to take place. Uh, it takes place 10 days after New Year. So you have 10 days of really feasting and celebration. And then you have uh, this day of atonement 10 days later. And you set yourself apart. It's a day of fasting. It's a day of, of weeping. It's a day of confessing our sins. It's a day of, 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 uh, uh, of, of giving ourselves to God. Jesus, through the cross, made the way to our Father to be free at any time. And then we have access to God now. But when Jesus arrives on the planet the second time, he's going to come out of the Holy of Holies. The Day of Atonement was when the high priest would go once a year to the Holy of Holies. Once a year he'd go in and pay for men's sins with the shed blood of animals. Our atonement was paid by Jesus. But on his second return, he'll come out of the Holy of Holies and our resurrection is guaranteed. And then finally is the feast called Sukkoth or Feast of Tabernacles. And we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days, okay? And this is after we've had atonement, and now it's another celebration. And this is when you have gathered in all the produce into your threshing floor and from your wine press. And this is the harvest festival. And uh, when Jesus returns, it's going to be because there's been a great harvest, and he's going to begin his millennial reign, and we have a lot to be excited about. Amen? So this Rosh Hashanah uh, or Yom Teruah is uh, the feast that we're celebrating right now. These three feasts come together over the next 14, 15 days. And we want to have you get involved in it, study it. And we're going to begin to teach more and more about the Hebrew feasts. And we'll lead you into these things over the next five-year period. We're not going to do this overnight. We're not going to cut everything off. Do what's in your heart. Love God every day of your life. But let's begin to embrace the truth of what the scripture says. Study this thing. And let's see what God has to say. Amen? All right. Did you get anything out of that? All right. Somebody said to me, well, what do we do during Christmas? Well, the Jews have a feast called Hanukkah. And we're not going to practice Hanukkah. But you know what? There's a lot of things that we can do to celebrate. And to celebrate in a biblical and a spiritual way. Okay? And uh, so we want to do that. All right. Now, if you open your Bibles, do you have all your, do you all have real Bibles? Lift your Bibles up in the air. We're not going to be an electronic church. I'm sorry. I, we will use elect, we will use some of this, but you know what? Learn how to read your Bible. Learn how to underline in it. 
learn how to study the Word of God. We've been doing a series called By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Today, I want to finish that series. I want to talk to you about the anointer. The anointer. Not the anointing. We hear a lot about the anointing. But how about the anointer? The person of the Holy Spirit who anoints. And today, I want to lead you into a place that you begin to allow the anointer to work on your life and in your life. And I want you to understand how this works. And first of all, in order to do that, we need to look into the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives a picture. It's a type. It's a shadow of things to come. It gives a picture of, of, of what we can expect in the New Testament, of what we can expect the Holy Spirit to be for you and I. And we see that the presence of the, Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit appears in the Old Testament from time to time. But his ministry is never really described in detail. He repeatedly is seen as the one who empowers the leaders in Israel to accomplish their God-given tasks. Anointed to be prophets, priests, or kings. The Spirit would rest upon these men. There's all kinds of references to the Spirit rested upon them. The Spirit came upon them. The hand of the Lord was upon them. And you'll see that his presence in the Old Testament was usually temporary. He anointed them or he empowered them for a specific task or a specific purpose over a short period of time. And there are many, many examples. And I, I've selected a few. You don't need to turn to these, but I put them on the screen. But in Judges 3 and verse 10, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel, and he judged Israel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him to be a judge. Judges eleven twenty nine 29 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. Jephthah. And then in 1 Samuel 11, And the Spirit of the Lord, or the Spirit of God, rushed upon Saul. Rushed upon Saul. And then in 1 Samuel 16, 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. These are, there are other examples of the Spirit resting upon the prophets or as they received their call to speak for God. In 1 Kings 17, 2, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying. The word of the Lord came unto him saying. That's an anointing. How many of you know that it takes an anointing? of the Holy Spirit to preach this gospel. Anybody can give a story. Anybody can tell the story. But it takes an anointing to cause the gospel to penetrate the hard hearts of men. It takes an anointing for the Spirit of God to minister into the hearts of people. In the Old Testament, it was the same. Jeremiah 1, 4. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying. These are pictures of the Holy Spirit coming. I could take you through probably 50 verses of the Old Testament where the hand of the Lord came upon the prophet and, and they began to prophesy. The hand of the Lord was upon me, they'll say. The hand of the Lord came upon me. Powerful, powerful moves of the Holy Spirit empowering them to carry out the role or expression that God had called them to operate in. You see, every expression of the Holy Spirit and his anointing for ministry in these Old Testament examples, if you'll study it, you'll find out that it shows that it was limited. There was a, a limited anointing. But the Old Testament gives hints that the nature of the Spirit's anointing would be much broader and much longer lasting in the future. Now you can turn in your Bibles to Numbers, the, fourth, the 11th chapter. Now we're going to stay in this a long time. So you're going to want to underline Numbers 11. And we're going to go through this verse by verse. I'm going to break it down for you. You're going to study this. When you leave this chapter today, you're going to say, man, I understand what happened with Moses. Everybody say Moses. Tap your neighbor and say, we're going to hear about Moses today. But now don't just read about Moses. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about the Holy Spirit in your life. Numbers 11, verses 4 through 9, the Bible says the rabble, some, some versions say the mixed multitude with them began to crave other food. Let me, let me explain something to you about that. 
that there's always going to be a mixed multitude in our lives. There's going to be people that don't believe in God. There's going to be people that don't follow God. There, there, there are people here in this church. You, you come to church, but you really aren't sold out for God. You're just part of the mixed multitude. You're still thinking about how it was in your other church or how it was with the witch doctor. Yeah, I remember there was a powerful witch doctor we used to go to. I wish I could find another one like him. Well, but we'll, do, we'll settle for church now. Hmm? See, a mixed multitude, you have to understand the children of Israel, when they left, there were a lot of different people with them as well. It wasn't just Hebrews that left. Some of the Egyptians left and came with them. They were involved in all kinds of false worship. Some of the other people that had gone to Egypt because of the same drought that led the children of Israel there stayed in Egypt, and when it was time to leave, they went with the, they went with, they got out of slavery too. So you had a mixed multitude, the Bible says. You have, and, and, and here the Bible says they were the rabble. And the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites took on what the rabble was saying. They were infiltrated by the enemy, and they began to listen to the newspaper, and they began to listen to the news, and they began to listen to the propaganda. And they began wailing, and they said, if only we had meat to eat. Now, let me tell you something. When they were slaves in Egypt, they never ate meat. They had a bit of fish that came out of the Nile River, but it was mainly vegetables. Slaves don't eat beef. They don't eat meat. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went about gathering it and they ground it in a mill or crushed it in a mortar. They took it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. So here we know that, the, that God had redeemed Israel from the bondage of slavery, Egyptian slavery. He led them through the desert toward a promised land, and he's caring for all their needs. He's giving them a miraculous supply and provisions from heaven in the form of manna. At first, the people of Israel rejoiced in their freedom. Woohoo! Born again, saved, set free. They were rejoicing in the providence of God in their lives. They could see that God had saved them. God had touched their families. And that he was giving them food to eat every single day. But like so many, soon they became dissatisfied. Tap your neighbor say, I don't think he's talking about me today. It's so easy. They soon began to forget the whips and the torture and the sweat and the impoverishment from their slavery. And now their deepest dreams were filled with visions of the fish, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic that they had eaten in Egypt. They were unhappy about having to eat the same thing, manna, for every meal. Now, isn't that just like human nature? To me, I, I tell you, I, I'm always shocked at people. It's just like humans. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And no sooner do you get over there and you look back and say, no, it was better over there. I can't tell you how many people I meet all over the world. How is it in Zimbabwe? We miss it so much. I said, well, why did you leave? Well, because we thought that the grass was greener here. They go to London. They're going to make pounds. But they forget that you have to spend in pounds. 
Pounds are wonderful if you live in Zimbabwe. Especially now. I don't know what a pound burns for. I mean, I don't know what a pound is worth these days. But I can tell you it's worth a lot more today than it was yesterday. All I can tell you is it seems that everybody was displeased at this point in time. In Moses' case, it was much more. He was beside himself. Look at what this says in Numbers 11, 11 through 15. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Boy, I'll tell you, I feel like that sometimes. God, look at all these people. Why? why? Why have you brought this trouble on me? How many of you have ever feel that way? How many of you run a company and you think, oh, God, why me? How many of you look at your family sometimes and you think, why me? <laughs> now, be careful there. I saw some wife, don't you dare... <laughs> What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and just kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me, if I, kill me if I found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. How, how many of you have ever been there? God, just have mercy on me. Just kill me. It would be a lot easier than living in this place. I, how many, how many of you know that sometimes as pastors, I talk to all of our pastors, how many of you know it's hard sometimes as a pastor to help you? Well, thank you for that wonderful response. <laughs> Why hasn't God done what he told us he would do? Where are the promises of God? Wine, wine, murmur. You sound just like the children of Israel. Think about yourself now. Now, I didn't say your name. If I say your name, you can get offended and leave the church. But if I don't say your name, just look straight ahead. Don't turn red. Don't turn to the right or left. Nobody will know I'm talking about you. Okay? And let the Holy Spirit deal with you. See, I'll tell you what. You can judge the depth of Moses' despair by the words and the desperate prayer he makes. God... If you like me at all, if you care about me at all, kill me. Just kill me. Because I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. Just kill me. Here he had thousands of people screaming at him all day, all night, to give them something that he had no way of providing. At that point, death seemed more preferable and continuing to lead the Israelites. But here's amazing. God's response was not what Moses expected. Look at this in Numbers 11, 16 through 20. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is upon you and put it on them. Well, that's a powerful passage of Scripture. I will put some of the power of the Spirit that's on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. Then you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. 
You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or ten or twenty, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils, until you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you've wailed at him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Here's my greatest fear for you guys in Zimbabwe. I'm speaking as Moses now. God, your people. Here's my greatest fear for Zimbabwe. Here's our, our my greatest fear for our nation. Is that we whine, we complain, we gripe so much that eventually God says, okay, fine. I'm going to give you exactly what you're whining for. And it becomes such a stench to us that it's not what we wanted in the first place. Some of you are crying, oh, I just want to be rich, rich, rich. Why? So you can look like people who drive fancy cars. Who are rich. And have no common sense, no ability to understand the season or the time or the hour we live in. What happens if God blesses you so much? Some of you have already done that. It became all about you and you forgot about the kingdom of God. You forgot that God delivers. So what happens if it happens again? God will deliver you. But God doesn't promise you to be wealthy. God promises you to have your needs met in abundance so that you can be blessed to be a blessing. Some of you, your prosperity would destroy you. But you cry for it all the same. I think here's what the lesson is. The lesson in the Bible that we should be very careful about is be careful what you pray for. The people were crying for meat. So God said, okay, if you want meat, I'll give you meat. I'll give you meat for breakfast, lunch, for dinner, for midnight snack. He says, you're going to have meat, not just for one day, not for two days, but for a whole month until it runs out your noses. God said, I'll give you meat until you can't stand the sight of meat. Now, I don't know about you, but it would seem to me that if I were Moses, I would have been relieved at that news. God was going to give the people what they wanted. That takes the pressure off Moses, right? It would seem, and it would be logical for Moses to say something like, hey, thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking charge of this situation. I appreciate it so, so much. But that's not what happened. Listen, here's what crisis, here's what Moses does. He, Moses has a crisis of faith. And look what he says in Numbers 11, 21, and 22. Look in your Bibles. He says, but Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for the whole month? Would they have enough if all the flocks and the herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? <laughs> Isn't that just like all of us? I don't know how you're going to do it, God. You said you'd bless me. You said you'd turn my company around. You said you'd turn my marriage around. You, you, but I, even if you did it, how would you do it? Dap your neighbor say, I know he's talking about you now. I know he's talking about you. God, you told me you'd set me free from this court case. But I don't know how because everything's cooked against me. How, I, you said, but how are you going to do it? Anybody ever, anybody, do you ever see that you're schizophrenic? Now, by the way, when Moses speaks of 600,000 men on foot, he's referring to the size of the Israelite army, okay, the number of men that are eligible for combat. This figure does not include young boys and young girls, children, the elderly, or women. And most scholars place the number of people that he's leading somewhere between 2.5 to 4 million people. 
Now you can understand why it's hard to feed four million mouths. Uh, somebody did, a military man did the logistics of feeding people in a wilderness area. How many train loads of food you'd need every day. How many train loads of water you'd need every day. How much, I mean it's staggering to see the logistics of taking care of four million people. That's like a city of Harare walking in the desert and say, okay, feed everybody. Think about the logistics. I don't know how Moses thought he could do that in the first place. But Moses somehow could not see a way that God could fulfill his promises to give this vast host of people the meat that they needed for a month. But I love God's response. Look at this in verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses... And this is for you. This is for somebody here today. Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Now you'll see whether my word will come true for you or not. I want you to know something. I'm redoubling down. I'm doubling down on the word of God. I'm doubling down on what God said and I don't care what the press says. I don't care what, I don't care who the next secession person is because nobody knows. But God knows. I don't care what the pundits say. I don't care what the politicians say. I don't care what the experts say. I don't care what the prophets say. The word of God is my foundation God will supply. God will meet my needs. Amen? So God's asking Moses, am I God or am I not God? I have a question for you. Is he God or is he not God? And then he just challenged Moses. He says, hide and watch. Just step aside. Just see what I do. Now Moses doesn't say anything else after that. He just goes out and did as God commanded him. In Numbers 11, verses 24 and 25, so Moses went out and he told the people what the Lord had said. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Now's the time to be saying what the Lord has said. Not what the pundits say, not what the politicians say, not what the minister of finance or the, the head of the RBZ says. It doesn't matter what they say. What does the Lord say? Amen. And he brought together 70 of their elders and he had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and he put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. When the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. They prophesied, but they did not do so again. Now I want to explore the importance of this incident. But before I do that, I want, I want to show you something that I'd like us to consider an earlier event that took place in the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn there. But we're told that after God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, that Moses was met by his father-in-law, Jethro, who was the priest of Midian. And he came to visit the Israelite camp, and he came to visit Moses at Mount Sinai. And during his visit, Jethro saw that Moses sat to decide disputes among the people, the Bible says, from morning until evening. In fact, let me just read it to you. Uh, it's 13 verses. Just read it. I'll put it up here. You can just read it. But it's in Exodus 18, 14 through 26. It says, when his father-in-law saw, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and God's instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice that maybe, or that, and, and maybe God will be with you, or may God be with you. 
you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees, teach them his instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they're to behave. But select capable men from among the people. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. So here we see that Moses takes his father-in-law's advice. Tell you what, it's good to take advice from people that have gone before us. And he appointed men as judges under him while he functioned as the chief justice. And he handled all the most difficult cases. Now, in the account of numbers that we were just studying, God does something similar. God had told Moses to gather 70 men who were elders of the people to bring them to the tent of tabernacle, to the the tent of meeting, and what God is saying, he says, I'm going to ease the burden of leadership on you, and I'm going to give you not just one assistant, but 70. So when they gathered, God took some of the spirit that was upon Moses and placed it on the 70 elders. As a result, there was no longer just one leader in the camp, there were now 71 leaders in the camp. Do you understand what I'm saying? Moses had, been anointed, Moses had been anointed by the Holy Spirit to act as the mediator of the Old Covenant. Now God anointed 70 more to participate in this work. Now it's significant that he did not give them anointing of their own. They didn't get their own anointing. And this is where the heir has come in the body of Christ today. Every little kid can run out. Every young man, every old man can run out and, I'm anointed. Where did you get your anointing from? Everybody's anointed now. I got picked up at the airport the other day. And uh, some guy runs up to me. I'm prophet such and such. I said, what's your name? Prophet. Prophet such and such. I said, excuse me, what's your name? I'm prophet. I said, no, prophet, prophet Emmanuel something. I said, excuse me. Stop with all the title stuff. What's your name? I said, I don't care about your title. You're not a prophet to me, and you're not a prophet in my organization, and I don't care that you're a prophet. What's your name? See, we've gone crazy with this stuff now. And we're ignorant. We're ignorant. Anointing isn't something that is manifested by how flamboyant you are. Anointing is when we're connected properly to the anointer. So he dispersed the spirit that was upon Moses amongst the 70 elders. When he did this, all the people all the 70 elders began to prophesy in a unique way, like they had never done before and would never do afterwards. This outward manifestation showed that they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to notice something in Numbers 11. Go back to Numbers 11, verse 26. It says, however, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad. Everybody say Eldad and Medad. Sounds like some of you, you come late to church. They remained in the camp, but they were listed among the elders, but did not go down to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, 
Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Well, by the way, this was scandalous. It was. Back then, the people did not, nobody in the camp, remember, four million people didn't know that God had commanded this distribution of the Holy Spirit beyond Moses. The person of Moses was the leader. He didn't know, nobody knew that it was supposed to be given to the 70 elders. And so when they observed Eldad and Medad prophesying, they were horrified that this might be a sign of a false prophet. The reason that I'm so afraid of so many prophets today is because the Bible says in the last days there will be many false prophets. Many false prophets. So these guys did the right thing. They ran to inform Moses about it. And when the news reached Moses, his assistant Joshua was particularly upset. Now, in Numbers 11, 28, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Now, why would Joshua make this request? Was he opposed to prophecy? Was he against the power of the Holy Spirit? No. Joshua was, was simply concerned that his threat, that this was a threat to Moses' leadership. He saw that it was an attempt he thought it was an attempted uprising that was against the duly constitu constituted authority of the Old Testament church. You know, even in our church, you know, it's amazing to me, there's a way to prophesy. There's a way to be a leader. And it's not to be ZANU-PF oriented, where you put on your pants and you just tell everybody what to do. And you know everything and you've all of a sudden become King Kong and you have all the answers. And that's how, that's how it is. I mean, you try, try to reason with somebody. It's, it's, un, it's impossible to reason with anybody. Try to reason with a police officer. No, no, he's got two stripes on his shoulder and he's King Kong now. <laughs> try to reason with somebody at the city office about anything. No, 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 which, which faction are you? What, what, what difference does it make? Just do your job. Come on, are you listening to me? But even here in the church, here in the church, that attitude comes in sometimes. You know, you've been a musician for five minutes, and now you're telling the musicians, how, you know what I think? I don't care what you think. Submit to mom. Submit to the leadership of the musicians that have been here for 37 years. Mom, mom, hey, mom's been doing that for 35 years. I think she might know something. After 35 years. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want you to prophesy. That doesn't mean we don't want you to be anointed. Be humble, be teachable, be correctable, be, be, be able to, to, to receive rebuke and correction and instruction in righteousness. But Dr. McConey and I, we're dealing with young people all the time. We put them in ministry. They either don't rise up strong enough to lead or they take and lead too strongly and try to lead the church away on their own. Or they don't stay with the anointing that's in the house and they go and run out and find some false prophet that has a supposedly stronger anointing. And they mess their lives up. Folks, stay humble. Stay in the house. Be a prophetic people. I want you all to prophesy. I want you to all be prophetic. But let's do it decently and in order. I'm going to talk to you today about being a prophetic people because now is the season to be a prophetic people. Listen to what Moses' response was. Verse 29, Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. See, it appears that Joshua is protesting the expansion of the anointing of the Holy Spirit to empower God's people for ministry. But Moses is delighted that it's happening. He even expresses the desire that this would take place in all of God's people. Every one of his people. You see, in ancient Israel, during the time of Moses, the idea that the Spirit might rest on every believer was merely a hope and a prayer. I mean, this was Moses just saying, ah, I wish. It was a, it was a wish. 
But later on, this very thing became a prophecy. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, and I would like you to open your Bibles there. Joel chapter 2. I want you to read this with me. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Get your pen out. You're going to want to underline this 55 times. I want you to count. The person next to you, make sure they underline 55 times. Not 54, not 56, 55 times, okay? <laughs> Joel 2, verse 28 and 29. For some of you, Joel is where the pages of your Bible still stick together. You've never read this yet. Joel 2, 28 and 29 says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Everybody say, all people. One version says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men, like Pastor Tom, will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Well, I want you to know something. Here we see a man, Joel, a prophet, under the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's inspiration, saying that in the last days, God would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. That is, on all the people of God. The empowering of the Holy Spirit for ministry would not be limited to a prophet, to an apostle, to a pastor. Can you understand something? You don't need a prophet, a prophet to be ministered to. A prophet is here to equip you to do the work of the ministry. A pastor is here to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Not to be the minister. Come to me. I have all the answers. Come to me. I'll give you a prophecy and you pay me. That's a lie. God says, in the last days I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh and they will minister. They will prophesy. All flesh will prophesy. That's why I know this is such an error. It's not limited to isolated individuals or a small core of people. But every person who is in fellowship with God is endowed by the Spirit of God. What was a prayer for Moses or a wish became a prophecy for Joel and became physical history on the day of Pentecost when God took of the Spirit that was upon Jesus, who is the mediator of the new covenant, and distributed not to 70, but to all believers. All believers. And it's still happening today. The mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, is giving a portion of his anointing upon all flesh. Can you get this? Jesus had told his disciples what would happen in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Ghost. See, one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples before he ascended to the, his father in heaven was that they should stay for a short time in the city of Jerusalem so that they might receive the fulfillment of the promise that the Father had made. He was alluding to the promise of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the prophecy of Joel. He told them, hey, this is going to happen in the very near future. Well, can I tell you something? Right now, we are not prophetic enough of a people. The Holy Spirit that was ready for them then is evident and ready for you now. Those men and women got filled with the Holy Spirit. They spilled out onto the streets of Jerusalem and they began to speak the mysteries of God. They began to speak things and they changed the whole environment. In fact, the Bible says they turned the world upside down. Whew. 
If ever Zimbabwe needed to be turned upside down, it's right now. And if you think you can do it by your clever arguments, and all we need is one more person to become president, one more person to run for president. I think we're up to six or seven in our church now, and we just need one more of you. Come on, run for president. You have no money, you have no constituency, but you're going to be president. You're a fool. I'm sick of it. We're dividing ourselves a thousand different ways because everybody's going to be president. How about if we all just become servants? How about if we all just say, hey, listen, let me serve at some level, and we served one another. What if we all became ministers of the gospel and loved each other? I'll tell you what, we turned the world upside down. But no, you still have the grandiose idea that the only way you can change something is by being the president. That's an African myth, by the way. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, continues. He says this in verses 6 through 8. He says, then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can I tell you something? God's still doing that today. We see that Jesus is associating the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the power to become a witness for him. To testify of him. In all the passages that we've discussed today, in both the Old and the New Testaments, but especially here in the book of Acts, we see the anointing of the Holy Spirit is associated with some kind of an endowment, some kind of a gracious divine gifting that God gives to men. In fact, in the Greek, the word that is used to describe this is the word charisma. It's the actual Greek word charismata. We get the idea of the gifts of the Spirit being the charismatic gifts, the gifts of the Spirit that work through men, God's Holy Spirit gifts, not working through just prophets, but through men and women just like you. Tap your neighbor, say, you're spiritual. Tell them, you're supposed to be moving in the charismata. The Holy Spirit's upon you. He's anointed you. And it's 11 o'clock, so lift your hands and let's thank him. We give you praise in this house in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you've anointed us. We thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we are liberated in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I know it's 11 o'clock, but can I have just a few more minutes to finish this message? Because I preached two messages today. I was fast. The same mission that God gave the early disciples, He's given to you and I. To bear, to bear witness of Him to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that was the promise. That was the promise. Now look at Acts chapter 2. I love this. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these that are speaking Galileans? 
that how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Pentecost, we talked about it earlier, was it's an annual event. Every year, the Jews would come together in Jerusalem. Jewish pilgrims from all over the world came to the Feast of Pentecost. There's always a huge assemblies of Jews, even today, from many regions, and they speak many different languages. But the feast on this occasion was interrupted by a supernatural event that was marked by tongues of fire resting on the heads of the disciples. And an audible manifestation, the, the Bible says the disciples spoke of the mighty works of God in languages that the people present could listen to. After the anointing by the Spirit, something happened. These Galileans, these, these simple men, these ordinary men, these little Zimbabweans, these people that just were in the poorest of the poorest nation, these, these people that just, they were changed men and women. And they began to preach that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, the Savior. And they would not be silenced, even by the threats of execution. Both the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and the Romans rose up against them and said, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And they began to take this message of the gospel everywhere, just as Jesus had commanded them. Like I said, it was soon said of them that they had turned the world upside down. I believe it's going to be said of Zimbabwe that they turned Africa upside down. I want you to know something. This is the power and this is the anointing that the Spirit gives to each and every person who trusts in Jesus Christ under the new covenant. Many of the Reformed theologians spoke of what they called the priesthood of all believers. What this simply means is that all believers are supposed to participate in the ministry of Christ and in the ministry of the church. Every believer, every one of you. Now that can be intimidating. But with that comes the gift of the Holy Spirit who anoints and empowers all of Christ's people to serve Him. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.